All right, welcome to our study of 2 Corinthians here on the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. This recording is going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, which, as the opening paragraph, includes the introduction and greeting, as well as an opening prayer that includes a key theme that will be important in the rest of the letter. So let's jump in and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul begins the letter this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Timothy. And so Paul and Timothy are listed here as the senders of the letter. And Paul describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. The word apostle means one sent. It's one sent as an official representative of Christ Jesus, of Messiah Jesus, of King Jesus. And so Paul states up front his position, and this is an issue with at least, has been an issue in Corinth and an issue still with a vocal that vocal minority in the congregation. And so he wants to state this right up front and that he is an apostle by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So they are the senders. Timothy is well known to the Corinthians. He's been sent there several times. He's been with Paul there. So they have a relationship with him as well. So Paul and Timothy are the senders. Two, here are the recipients, the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. That's interesting because the letter is really addressed to the church at Corinth, but notice it also includes all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Achaia is the larger provincial region of which Corinth is a city. And so Paul sees this as having a broader audience than just the Corinthians themselves. He, he sees this letter as having benefit to all the saints throughout Achaia. And don't get too lost in that word saints. Uh, while over the course of church history, it came to be applied to specific individuals who you know, had done some distinguishing marks to set them apart or something like that. When Paul uses it, when the New Testament uses the word saint, it doesn't refer to a super holy dead guy or a super holy dead woman. It refers to God's people, Christians, us. Uh, that we, and it's always plural, we are the saints. We are those set apart as belonging to God. That's the force of the word saints. And so to the church of God, which is at Corinth, and to all of God's people, all of the Christians who are throughout Achaia. So that's the recipients. And then the greetings, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so grace to you and peace. In a lot of ways, that sort of adapts and modifies the standard Greek and the standard Jewish greeting. Uh, grace, charis, is, sounds very similar to chirine. And in a uh, normal letter at a, a spot like this, they would say chirine, greetings, charis, grace. So grace to you. And then the Jews typically greeted each other with shalom, um, which means peace. So Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's introduction and greeting, Paul and Timothy to the church at Corinth and all the saints in Achaia, grace to you and peace. Then, beginning in verse 3, Paul jumps into an opening prayer um, where he blesses God for what he has done. It's interesting because Paul doesn't specifically pray for the Corinthians here 
as he often does in a lot of his other letters where he kind of writes out a prayer he's praying for them. Here, he actually praises God for what God has done for Paul and his team. But in doing so, it really kind of addresses a key issue that's been at the heart of some of the problems in Corinth and uh, that Paul is going to unpack in the chapters that follow. And so this is what he says. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And the way he writes this, blessed be, is literally how it reads. If you're reading, say, the NIV or something else, it might say praise be or something like that. But this blessed be is a very a typical Jewish way of praying. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and Jews would often pray um, these blessed bees to God daily, multiple times a day. And so this was a, a very characteristic way of expressing your praise and your thanks to God uh, for a person like Paul. And so blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Notice how God is described here. He's described as the God and Father of Jesus. He's described as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Uh, it's a beautiful description of who God is and what his character is like and how he relates to his people. So he's the God and Father of Jesus, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, that word comfort is going to be really important between verses 3 through 7. Paul is going to use it a lot, and we have to make sure we hear it the way Paul intended it. We hear the word comfort, and sometimes we think, you know, uh, just a nice, comfortable set of clothing and a comfortable chair with our cup of tea or whatever it is, and we're all comfortable. That's not quite what this word means. This word is often translated encouragement. And it, it can have the sense of comfort, but more in the sense of like strengthening and fortifying. So when Paul, when Paul says comfort here, he means to encourage and to strengthen and to fortify rather than providing a soft, cuddly experience. And so God is the God of all comfort. He's the God of all encouragement and strengthening and fortifying. And Paul goes on and says in verse 4, that God comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I'm sure you hear the repetition of the word comfort, right? The strengthening, this uh, encouragement, this fortification. And Paul says that um, God, the God of all comfort, verse 3, comforts us in all our troubles. Notice that, all. Like he, he's the God of all comfort and he comforts us in all our troubles or all our affliction. It's really important too that we notice us. This is going to be important through this whole first section of uh, the letter that us more often than not refers first and foremost to Paul and his ministry team. That's the us here. This isn't just us Christians in general, although it certainly applies to all Christians in general, but Paul is speaking very personally and autobiographically. He's talking about himself and his ministry team and the things they're suffering, and he's praising God for how God has strengthened them and encouraged them and fortified them in the midst of all their affliction in the ministry that they are enduring on behalf of Jesus. And when it says affliction, that word um, philipsis means like 
like things from the outside that bring distress and bring struggle and bring anxiety and worry and trouble on the inside. And so he, they're experiencing all sorts of hardships in ministry. And if you listen to the backstory, some, some of those hardships make Paul look awful weak in the eyes of the Corinthians. And so Paul's going to deal with all that. In the upcoming paragraphs and chapters, Paul's going to talk about why does his ministry look so weak? And Paul says that's, that's actually important. Uh, and we know when we get to the end of the letter, Paul's going to actually say that uh, Christ's power is perfected in weakness. And so all of this theme of suffering and hardship is introduced here in this opening prayer where Paul praises God that he actually is present in Paul's suffering and his affliction by, by bringing comfort and strengthening in it. And his, one of the purposes of that he says, is, is that he might be able to comfort other people as well. So God comforts Paul and his team so that they can bring that same encouragement, that same strengthening, that same uh, comfort to those who are in any affliction uh, with the very same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so Paul, Paul is going to be able to use what he has learned from God to strengthen and comfort and encourage others as well. Paul goes on in verse 5 and, and says, for, or literally because, it's the Greek word hadi, it means because, for, because just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, in other words, Paul says, we, we've got We've got the sufferings of Christ aplenty. We've got more than our, our fair share of the sufferings of Christ. And by sufferings of Christ, he simply means sufferings because of the ministry of Christ, sufferings because of being associated with Christ, sufferings because he's promoting Christ. And so he's saying like, we, our, the, those sufferings because of our union with Christ, we have those in abundance. But guess what? He says, so also our comfort is abundant through Jesus as well. And so just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, well, we've also got the comfort of Christ aplenty as well. And the fact is, is Paul did suffer a lot. In fact, when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's going to list off a whole bunch of his sufferings that he's experienced. And Paul learned very early on that to be united with Jesus is also to, uh, to be involved in suffering. And that when, uh, when God's people suffer, when Jesus' people suffer, Jesus himself considers that his sufferings as well, that they are so united that they're united in suffering. In fact, when Paul himself was an opponent of Christianity and, and seeking to persecute Christians and on his way to Damascus, that moment when Jesus appeared to him, uh, Jesus called out to Paul. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I think that moment was important for Paul. Uh, as he reflected back on that in, over his life, he realized that when Christians suffer, Christ suffers. And thus he could refer to things like the sufferings of Christ, that Christ's people's sufferings are Christ's own sufferings. And Paul says, we've had those aplenty in our ministry, but we've also had the comfort of Christ aplenty as well. He goes on and says in verse six, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And so whatever Paul and his team, we, notice he's distinguishing himself from them. We are, Paul and his team, if we are afflicted, it is for your Corinthian comfort and salvation. In other words, Paul, the, the things he's suffered and the self-emptying and the difficulties he's had in bringing the gospel to them has brought them comfort and has brought them the gospel of salvation. 
And he says, if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And so the comfort that he's experienced, he's been able to bring that to them. And so if we're comforted, it is for your comfort as well. And he says that comfort is effective in endurance. That word effective means literally it's working. It's a participle. It means the comfort is working in their, their endurance, it's, it's strengthening them and helping them endure. And the place where it's showing up is their, their faithfulness, uh, their endurance, um, their standing firm in Christ. And so Paul's afflictions and Paul's comforts are all really benefiting the Corinthians and helping them to stand firm in their faith when they suffer and when uh, they experience difficulty because of their union with Jesus as well. And Paul says in verse 7, Our hope for you is firmly grounded because we know that you are partners in our suffering, so you are also in our comfort. And so Paul's like, we're our hope for you, that you will continue to be faithful, that you'll continue to endure affliction and remain true to Jesus, it's firmly grounded, it's unwavering, it's stable, it's sure, knowing that, that is because we know this, we know that you you are our partners in our sufferings, like you're experiencing sufferings for Jesus just like we are, and we're participating in this together. You're partners with Paul in ministry and supporting him and his team in ministry. And so our comfort also flows to you as well. And so we're in this together. That's the idea. And then what Paul does in verse 8 uh, is he actually brings up a recent serious example of affliction that almost led to his death. It's interesting because it's something that's not mentioned in the book of Acts. Look what he says, verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction which occurred in Asia. And the phrase, be unaware, doesn't suggest that the Corinthians didn't know about it. Um, it suggests more like, we don't want you to take this lightly. We don't take it lightly. Uh, we don't want you to miss this. This is important. And so really it invites the Corinthians to consider the severity of what happened to Paul in Asia. And again, we don't know exactly what it was. Uh, we're in that time period of Acts 19 when Paul spent two years in Ephesus and the ministry to all of Asia there. Um, but what Paul describes here doesn't sound like anything that Luke included in Acts 19. Because look at the second half of verse 8. He says, uh, here's what happened in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Now, Acts 19 tells us about the riot over Artemis, but there's nothing there that sounds like what's described here, where Paul actually thought, man, we're on the verge of death here. And burden has this idea of like being oppressed, like it weighed on us. And so it was so great that Paul despaired even of life. Like he was at a complete loss. They, they thought they were about to die. Um, in fact, one ancient commentator, Ambrosiaster, says that Paul was, death was staring them in the face. And that's the language here is the idea. Uh, and we just don't know exactly what happened. But whatever it was, it was severe. And Paul thought he was going to die. And Paul goes on in verse 9 to further describe this and says there was an important lesson for him and for his team out of this. And so verse 9 says, indeed, literally, this is the word for but. And so it's more of, but even though this happened, right? Like even though we despaired of life, but 
we had the sentence of death within ourselves to teach us something. And so this sense of death, and when it says sentence of death, maybe there was literally a, a death sentence on their life. But I don't think it has to be that because it says sense of death within ourselves. We felt this within ourselves. We despaired of life within ourselves. We, we were literally staring death in the face within ourselves and thought we were about to die. And there was an important lesson in this for Paul. He says, so that, here is, uh, here is the purpose of this suffering, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And so... There was a purpose in it, a lesson to be learned that reliance on God, notice, God who raises the dead. So self-reliance gave way to God-reliance here. Um, and God is the one who, who raises the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead. He'll raise them from the dead. And Paul uh, learned in a deeper newer, fresher way, somehow through this experience in Asia, to trust in God who raises the dead. And Paul, as he continues to describe this experience, says this, that who rescued us from so great a danger of death. And so somehow God intervened, rescued them from so great a death, literally is the way it reads. It doesn't even have that word danger in it that's been supplied in this English translation. But so great a death means so large, um, so horrible, so awful a death. And will rescue us, he on whom we have set our hope. And so Paul has learned a really fresh reliance on God, fresh confidence on God. And he's deeply grateful uh, for God and his hope is set on him. His hope is set on God. And Paul says, and he will yet deliver us. He's still going to do that. We know, we have confidence that God is going to continue to deliver us in the future if the need arises, um, if you join in helping us through your prayers. That's the way verse 11 reads in this translation. They should not have supplied the word if because that makes it sound like uh, the Paul's deliverance by God is contingent on the Corinthians praying for him. And that's not the way it actually reads literally in Greek. There's no word if in the Greek text. It's literally, God will deliver us with you joining us in helping through your prayers. It's just an invitation to them that they can join in and partner with Paul by praying for him and God's continued deliverance of him. And as they join with Paul in that way, there's, there's, the, there's a great result. And that great result is this. So that thanks may be given by many persons in our behalf for the favor granted to us through the prayers of many. The idea is that um, because now you have all these other people praying and they now are feeling connected and a participant in this so that... And when God intervenes and acts, oh, more thanksgiving can be given up to God because of that um, by more and more people because they were all invested and involved in that. And so Paul sees this as a real blessing. In fact, he describes it as uh, here as so that thanks may be given by many persons for the favor granted to us. Charisma is the word favor. It's a gift of grace. And here it refers to the deliverance that can come about by um, all of them joining and praying together, and thus many people will thank God for it because they all participated with God in it by means of prayer. And so Paul is inviting the 
Corinthians no longer to look down on him because of his suffering, but to realize they too are suffering on behalf of Jesus. And together they can be in on this together. They can pray for Paul and his team. And that'll lead to many thanks being given to God. All right, this is the opening to the letter of 2 Corinthians. And it really uh, not only has just the, the standard introduction and greeting, but this emphasis on affliction and suffering and comfort and inviting the Corinthians into this and this transparent opening about this really difficult situation in Asia. All of that is really a way of inviting the repentant majority to to come close to Paul, to turn back to Paul. Uh, Paul's going to speak very openly and transparently throughout this letter about a lot of his suffering and a lot of his affliction. Um, and that vulnerability and that openness, it seems to me, is really a key way that Paul is trying to welcome the Corinthians into his life and reaffirm his commitment to them and to invite them to come near to him and come back around him because there's been so much turmoil and chaos. And a lot of it has been the suffering and affliction and apparent weakness of Paul's life and ministry. And so Paul introduces that topic that is going to be central to really the first seven chapters and even the latter chapters of the letter here in this opening paragraph. And before we leave it, let me just offer a couple reflections here. The first is uh, the emphasis on comfort or encouragement or fortification that uh, God is described as the God of all comfort, and he comforts us in all our affliction. And even though that verse is primarily talking about Paul and his ministry, he's also he also goes on to talk about how God can provide comfort to the Corinthians. This is the experience of God's people, uh, that in this world we have tribulation, we have hardship, we have difficulty and trouble, uh, but in Christ we have comfort. We have the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort to strengthen us and encourage us and uh, to help us continue on. And that comfort is effective in endurance. It works in endurance and strengthens us to stay the course. And so really that's an important theme, not only this paragraph, uh, but of this entire letter. And so God is the God who's the one who strengthens us, fortifies us, and enables us to stand faithful and firm in Jesus uh, through thick and thin. And that really leads to the second reflection. And that reflection is this idea of relying on God. That Paul learned through this experience uh, he had in Ephesus, in Asia, to rely on God in a deeper and fresher sort of way. Um, and really, it sets an example for all of us that as we, as we experience weakness and hardship and difficulty in life, um, the proper response for those of us who are walking um, with God is to turn to God and trust in him and recognize that our hope rests on him. Our future depends on him. Our deliverance depends on him. And should we even die? Our resurrection depends on him. And so we learn to put all our eggs in the basket of God's care and God's protection and God's deliverance, whatever that looks like. And we trust that God knows that best. And so we rely on God. 
Thanks for tuning in to this session on the Listener's Commentary on 2 Corinthians. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry made possible by the generous support of people just like you. So if you're one of those who supports this ministry, thanks a ton from the bottom of my heart. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so by going to listenerscommentary.com, clicking the Give button, and you can put in a... A dollar amount, click the little box that says make this monthly, or you can give a one-time donation as well. And all donations are received in partnership with World Family Mission, a registered nonprofit, uh, and all the funds come directly to the listener's commentary and to this ministry. So thanks a ton for your support.